Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Welcome to the Locked on Bucks podcast. I'm Justin Garcia and uh, joined by Pratik Patel, who hopefully you just heard us on Bucks Talk on WTMJ. And by the way, you can hear us again Friday night and Sunday night, but uh, fill in the big shoes for Kane Pittman and Frank again tonight. And another good game that we have to break down here as another place where the Bucks historically have not played well in Phoenix. I think it's what now 28 of 34 that they've lost there after tonight's loss. But one of the things we had talked about is if you just examined this game as a whole and you looked at the close to it, you would say, okay, the Bucks seldom win in Phoenix. So it's a tough loss, but I understand the whole halftime lead, a 16 point lead and a 12 point lead in the third quarter is what makes it a tough pill to swallow that in the way the Bucks shot the ball and still lost this game. But that final possession, we probably didn't talk about this as much as we should have on our show, but that final possession, there's a lot to dissect from there because it was very clearly, I know there was a lot of options on it, as you mentioned, but it was very clearly, it seems, Giannis, this is your play. Find either the shot or see if there's an opening and go ahead and take it. I mean, my takeaway was, There's obviously going to be a discussion over should have been Giannis, should have been a Chris taking the shot. But look, he was very comfortable in that moment, which I think is what we should be most encouraged by, where Giannis caught the ball and immediately knew what he was going to do, where he had a plan as soon as he caught it. And it wasn't your typical end of game situation. Get it. Look at the shot clock. Look at the game clock. See the seconds ticking down and think, I just got to get a shot up. He knew exactly what he wanted to do, and there was definitely a comfort level there. Yeah, and I think that was the biggest thing for me was how willing he was to take it, and he wasn't panicking, looking to get rid of the ball or anything like that. And he was, by the time he rose up to shoot, there were multiple bodies in his face, and he he got the shot off. And, it, you know, in the grand scheme of things, like in the term, in terms of was that the best option for the Bucks to try and get a win tonight? No, because there are several players on the team who are better shooters from wherever they might have gotten the ball, including, as you mentioned, Chris Middleton, who I think this is the first time they've run the play and he's been open. And of course, he didn't get the ball this time. But um, yeah, the fact that he was willing to shoot it, you know, it might not have been the best option for the Bucks to win tonight, but I think this could be really beneficial for the team to win in the future because. We've seen him add this, you know, a couple different types of looks to to his game this season offensively. And the fact that he was the other thing, too, is I'm I'm not a Bucks fan, but I, I obviously like anyone else. I love watching Giannis play and we have not gotten too many opportunities, you know, since he's ascended these last handful of years for Giannis end of game heroics. Um, obviously he had the buzzer beater at the garden and that was like at the very start of his ascension. 
Um, and I remember that Blazers game a couple years ago where, you know, he had the steal late, he had a big block, and then he also had a dunk, I think, all in one sequence uh, with less than two minutes left. And, you know, I'm not one that believes you need to have those, like, signature moments to win MVP or anything like that. But um, we had an opportunity to see something with Giannis that we don't normally get to tonight. And obviously it didn't convert, but the fact that it was there and we had the chance to see it, to me, is really exciting. And we heard Mike Budenholzer say tonight after the game that, you know, his willingness to shoot it basically is is a really encouraging thing for us as a team. And, you know, again, it wasn't their best option to win tonight, but I do think this is going to be big for them moving forward, the fact that he was willing to do it he, and the team was okay with him with him shooting that. Yeah, I mean, their best option to take that shot was very clearly Brent Forbes. <laughs> I can uh, what did, what did Brent Forbes finish? Was it five of se- five of eight on threes? But he was five of six in the first half. So that was the other problem that the Bucks ran into, and that's why it was basically a tale of two halves, as as we've seemingly said quite a few times now with this team, uh, especially this season. But in the first half, the threes were falling. Not to say they weren't in the second half, because they still shot about forty five percent on threes. But I mean, the starters. Sands Giannis were 10 of 18 on threes in the first half. Bryn Forbes made five threes in the first half. But the biggest problem might have been Bryn Forbes and Bobby Portis combined for 27 in the first half, and they finished the game with 29. And, you know, with with Giannis, he also flipped from first half to second half because um, I think a lot of the attention early on with Giannis was that he had missed three threes um, all in the first quarter, and he actually was over four by halftime. Um, didn't take a three in the second half, but if you if you take out the three-point attempts, he was six of eight in the first half, and he finished 15 of 19 from the floor. And it, it really hurts that they lost for all of the reasons that any loss hurts, but to not be able to celebrate Giannis's night tonight and what would have been capped by a potential game-winning buzzer beater, um, tonight would have been really special because he finishes with 14 or 47 and 11 rebounds and five assists. And all five of his assists tonight, by the way, went for threes, um, which is also exciting because that's kind of just the surface level blueprint for what you want a Giannis led team to be, right? It's him, shooters, give him all the space you want. Um, and he, he had what felt like a really special night. And when the team was really floundering around him in that third quarter, it felt like he was the only one really starting to get going. Um, but for everyone else, like you mentioned, it was a complete uh, flip of the switch where you mentioned Bryn Forbes. He was five for six in the first half from deep and uh, second half. He he's over two. Um, and there's very little to show otherwise besides two misses. Bobby Portis finished the first half, 10 points, nine rebounds. Didn't do anything in the second half either. Um, you know, some of the guys were even worse because they didn't even have good first halves. Uh, when you look at guys like DJ Augustine, Pat Connaughton, both of whom had forgettable nights and it's been, Really a rough start to the season for for DJ Augustine, but um, Chris Middleton had a tough night too. It was just it was all around like you you mentioned first first half second half and defensively the Suns just poured it in 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 the third quarter and especially at the end of the third quarter going into the fourth. I mean they were just raining threes and this is not the first time this season where the Bucks have seen their opponent have pretty incredible shooting nights or shooting stretches at least. And, you know, at some point that's going to become less of an aberration and more of the expectation. Um, we definitely have to talk about 
DJ Augustine and not only tonight, but what we've seen in the last. And DJ Augustine has been kind of up and down as well. And I'm sure DJ Augustine is going to be somebody that really starts to draw the ire of fans. And we're going to point out some of the uh, usage and his shooting splits here. But uh, before we get to DJ and the rest of the things on tonight's show, the other thing that really stood out to me was Phoenix's shot profile. And look, with with Chris Paul in tow, you know how different Phoenix's offense is going to be now and where they're going to take a bulk of those shots from with Chris Paul and the ability to set up, set up Devin Booker and, uh, you know, a number of guys on this team for the Suns. It was uh, almost jarring seeing Jay Crowder look human in a game and, you know, take more than a three and not even make it to uh, against the Bucks, but Jay Crowder, two of six from the floor, one of three on three pointers, which I didn't think we would ever see that. Um, but if you look at the Suns' shot profile in this game, so uh, cleaning the glass in the NBA determined the mid-range shots differently. But according to the NBA stats, both of these teams took a healthy amount of mid-range shots, where the Bucks, I think, were six of eighteen, and the Suns were, I want to say, seven of nineteen. Uh, 7 to 19. But uh, cleaning the glass, if you look at the zones for the mid-range, the short mid-range shots, which are basically like free throw line and in, the Suns attempted 21 of them, which certainly would pass the eyeball test from the first half alone of tonight's game. It felt like there were a lot of floaters early on. DeAndre Ayton had uh, a healthy um, stream of push shots uh, just coming across the middle of the paint and just flipping them up. So... And, you know, like you mentioned, Chris Paul and Devin Booker, having the two of them on the same team, those are guys who love to live in the mid-range and right around that free throw line and um, around the elbow. And they're comfortable shooting, moving in any direction. And from that space, and they, you know, the, the percentages might not have shown it tonight, but they, they can kill you from there um, on any given night. And the Bucks, even after what was a hot third quarter and, you know, into the fourth for the Suns, they were completely fine with the Suns continuing to shoot some of those shots. And obviously the Suns did most of their damage from three uh, during that stretch where they poured in 39 in the third quarter uh, and then, you know, continued their hot shooting into the fourth. But um, the Bucks are, I think they've shown that outside of some stretches with the reserves where they've done some like switching and um, I don't even know if that's intentional or if that's just what the guys on the floor are deciding, but they're they're committed to this drop coverage, and I don't know how much they ever deviate from it, and that will also draw the ire of a lot of fans, I imagine. But um, they're they're not budging from that. Should point out too, uh, today's episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit RockAuto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. Uh, the mid-range certainly stood out, but one of the things we talked about, too, and you just referenced it there, was the Suns made four three-pointers in the third quarter, and it felt like they had ten, but it was it was that flurry at the end where, again, the Bucks were up by a dozen in the third quarter, and that's why you started to feel confident because they are up by as many as 16 at one point, but they were up by 12 at halftime. And in the third quarter, we start to see more of the same, where the Suns knock the lead down 
to I think around seven or six, uh, four. But then the Bucks went on another run and they hit back to back threes, pushed the lead to double figures. And at that point, you started to feel like, you know what, they're they're not going to lose this game. They they have it figured out. They're starting to round into form here, and um, they're going to end up winning this. And before you knew it. It was back down to double to single digits again, and it was just this stretch that Phoenix went on where they forced turnovers and they hit three pointers, and you couldn't have felt good going into the fourth quarter. Yeah, and you know to end the third and then the start of the fourth was that was that big stretch where the Suns went from down ten to up six in a matter of like three three and a half minutes um, at at most. It was the last two minutes of the third quarter and then, you know, the first uh, handful of possessions of the fourth where, you know, in those three minutes of game time, the the Suns hit five threes and they added, you know, one other tip in and and a free throw, I think. So they, uh, they, I mean, they flipped it very quickly and it honestly got to the point where we were, you know, there were only a couple minutes left in the game and, I looked at the score and the Bucks were down two and it felt like they were down 10. And I think the Bucks hit a three and then Giannis had a dunk to tie the game. And I was like, I can't believe this game's tied. Um, just as I couldn't believe that the Suns had gotten it close in the third, suddenly I couldn't believe that the Bucks were even within striking distance because it, it, it felt like the game had completely gotten away from him. It was that play where, um, and we saw it happen a couple of times, not just with him, but with Bobby Portis as well. But it was that play where Dante read the passing lane. You, I think it was Jay Crowder that turned it over where you caught him in a bad spot. Dante picked off the pass. And, I mean, credit to Chris for running the fast break with him and figuring out where to get, getting to the corner. And on a night where Chris had struggled shooting the basketball to take and make that shot, to make it a two-point game was huge, where that was the point where it was, I mean, we mentioned teetering in favor of the Bucks in the first half and even third quarter, but it was really teetering where the Bucks were on the ropes with, what, two and a half, three minutes left. And when Chris hit that shot, all of a sudden it started to flip, and then Giannis ties it, where you're thinking, you know what, this is, they're going to steal this game. And... You know, we both now mentioned that Chris had a rough shooting night and he ended up finishing three of six from deep, I think. Um, but it, at no point did you feel like Chris was having a good night yeah. uh, during this game. And that's I don't want that to sound like it's, you know, throwing shade at, at Chris. It's just what you've come to expect. Um, there was a lot of disappointment to go around tonight um, for the Bucks, I think, especially when you look at how hot of a start they had in the first half. But. You know, we already talked about DJ Augustine, and I was, I was someone who was, I mean, full transparency. I was excited when they when they signed him. I thought the money was high, but for them to have, you know, a, a dependable three point shooter, both in catch and shoot situations and off the bounce, uh, and to have like a true backup point guard, someone you could trust with yeah. the ball, um, instead of trying to have this patchwork like second unit with you know, Pat Connaughton basically being your point guard. And I thought this would be really helpful. And obviously there's, he's a veteran. There's, there is more left in this season for him to get right, but it has been really disappointing so far. Um, And then, you know, I think a big name for, for me and you both is we've uh, talked throughout this season that um, keeps coming up is, is Tory Craig. And I don't, you know, 
We didn't see him in the fourth quarter. I don't understand why, uh, especially with Drew out. And after that Denver game, I thought this would be, you know, sort of the 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 point where the snowball starts to to build. And we just it, it made too much sense for him to get run in the fourth quarter tonight. We never saw him. I want to mention Tory Craig. I want to uh, get to some things with DJ Augustine too, because I, I mean I was with you where I, I didn't hate the signing. DJ Augustine, I know we've all pointed to it, but he's a guy that hit big shots or at least one big shot in the playoffs, but his shooting percentages didn't drop in the postseason. So it did make sense on paper. We'll get to that in a minute. But as we mentioned, today's show brought to you by Rock Auto. RockAuto.com is a family-owned business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Just go to rockauto.com to shop for auto body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They've got everything you need, and you're going to need a lot, especially in Wisconsin as those temperatures are hitting frigid levels here in these days. Everything from engine control modules and brake parts and lamps, motor oil, even new carpet for the interior of your car, whatever you're looking for, rockauto.com has it. Best of all are the prices at rockauto.com always reliably low and same for professionals as they are for do-it-yourselfers like yourself go to rockauto.com right now see all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on on their how did you hear about us so they know we sent you amazing selection reliably low prices all the parts your car will ever need rockauto.com So, uh, I mean, DJ Augustine, and look, I think what is probably most frustrating is you just brought up the shooting. And I think, you know, one of the biggest things that stood out to me about this team is, you know, we all marveled over the three-point shooting to start the season. And Dante DiVincenzo, the president of that club through the first six games of the season, we've seen Brent Forbes kind of assume the mantle there recently. But... um, We all pointed to the shooting for this team. And to me, and I've talked about this with Kane, the biggest difference that I sensed was last year and even the year before that, this team was comprised of guys who can shoot. Whereas this year, it's shooters. And I don't think it's even up for debate. It is a better shooting team than it was a season ago. And we lumped DJ Augustine in with that, where all the reasons you pointed out and said, look, this is a guy that can obviously run an offense and step in and be a true point guard, which, you know, outside of Eric Bledsoe, the Bucks have been void of for years now. So he fills that role for you and his shooting ability. And I think we all kind of sensed, OK, we saw what he did in Orlando. We saw it firsthand against us in the playoff series and how he was utilized. I think you and I talked about it, too, and I wondered if we would see I know it. It goes against a lot of the offenses we've seen from Bud, but we've also seen him change some of those things this season. I wondered if we would see some two-man game with DJ Augustine and Brooke Lopez this season, similar to how he played off of uh, Nikola Vucevic with Orlando. But three-pointers are what we pointed to, and I think that's why DJ Augustine is being paid handsomely to run the second unit to sit out there and shoot. What we saw for stretches in this game was not ideal, where you're just stashing him in the corner. And we knew coming into the season that the issue with DJ Augustine was going to be on the defensive end. And, you know, we've seen it this season already, that teams are going to figure out ways to exploit that. 
but I don't need to see DJ Augustine take a shot from inside the three-point line anymore. Well, that's the thing, too. You know, you look at just tonight, even, he hits half of his threes. He shoots two for four, but 0 for four otherwise. And, you know, you mention it, and again, I was a believer in this signing before the season, but you you look at a game tonight where there are stretches where he is just hiding in the corner on offense, and on defense, he's going to get picked on. And if you're not making up for his defensive shortcomings by maximizing him on offense, then he shouldn't be in the game. And I know that they're missing Drew Holiday, which, again, I feel like needs to warrant a lot of discussion, um, considering who they were playing today and the fact that they ended up losing. But, you know, with DJ, it's if you're not going to, if he's not doing anything to help your offense, then he shouldn't be playing because he sure as hell, he, he's always going to be a negative. He's going to be a minus defender at all times. Yeah. Part of that's his size. He's a little older. It, it's just he's never going to be a good defender. And if you're not going to actually have him do anything on offense, then he's he shouldn't be out there. Um, and, you know, we, we look at some of the other signings and, like, Bobby Portis has been really good this year for them. Um, but today, again, he did a really exciting first half, 10 points, 9 rebounds, and then, you know, I think he finished with 12 and 9. Um, and I'm not sure how much he played in the fourth quarter, but I definitely... I think it was about two minutes that he played, just under two minutes that he played in the fourth quarter. I mean, that brings us to the other point about uh, Torrey Craig and the minutes here for him and, and for that bench overall, because, look, to to finish the point on DJ, I mean... You do have to kind of adopt the hot hand theory where it, it kind of goes back to what you were just saying there. But it, it's got to be and I think you have to do this with the majority of that second unit. It's got to be the does he have it or, or does he not have it? And that determines how much you play, because DJ Augustine basically played the same amount of minutes as Bobby Portis in this game. It was just over 19 for Bobby. It was just over 18 for DJ Augustine. DJ was two of nine from the field. Bryn Forbes, Dante DiVincenzo, Brooke Lopez, Bobby Portis, all of those players took nine or fewer shots. So DJ Augustine took the third most amount of shots of anyone on this team in tonight's game. Yeah, and he hits two of them. And you, I think you mentioned it earlier, we don't need to see him shoot anything but threes. It's great if he can, you know, drive and, and kick at some point, but like he's, I don't need you taking contested floaters or any, it's just not why you're there. It's well, and not, I mean, that that's the most discouraging thing is he was two of nine from the field, but he was only two of four on threes. Like if, if you're going to take nine shots, seven of them better be threes. And really, if we're being honest, eight of them better be threes. Right, exactly. And, you know, even if you look at the, on the other side of the floor at the Suns and you mentioned Jay Crowder earlier, he's, he's the player on that team that shoots the most threes this season. Um, he averages seven attempts a game. He only shot three tonight. And if you look at the Suns' averages pretty much across the board for this season, like none of it rang true tonight. Offensively, defensively, it was it was all over the place. Um, and even, you know, when you look at the Bucks and Suns overall, like they are very different teams in, you know, any of the advanced metrics. And uh, the Bucks are, I think, the fourth fastest team in the league in terms of pace and the Suns are the second slowest and you didn't get that feel that they were playing two different 
you know, styles of basketball tonight. It didn't feel like one team was grinding it out more than the other. Um, but you did have some lineups that I feel like we're not used to seeing for the box playing a little more than they normally would because Drew Holiday was out. But again, um, and we haven't really gotten to it yet, but no Tory Craig in the fourth quarter. And I don't want every conversation that you and I have after a Bucks game to turn into like a Tory Craig rotation referendum. But um, I just don't understand why he, why he isn't playing in the fourth quarter. Yeah. yeah I mean, DJ and Pat both played more minutes than Tory Craig in this game. And, and Pat, uh, he technically didn't close the game, but he was on the floor in the final two minutes of the game. So you're opting to go with Pat Connaughton over Tory Craig. When we saw Tory Craig basically, taking some of that role of Drew Holiday in the first half with the defense on Devin Booker. And we certainly saw that for extended periods on Monday in the job that he did on Jamal Murray. So that was the most confusing part to me. But as, as you and I talked about before, I don't want people to get too up or down based on one game alone. And I, you know, especially didn't want to get people to get too up on, Tory Craig after Monday's game were great. It was encouraging. And these are all the things that we pointed to and said, this is what I think this guy can do and what he will bring to this team. But there was also no Drew Holiday. And when you looked at the ways he was used, in the back of your mind, you at least had to ask, okay, would he have the same usage and the same minutes if Drew Holiday was playing in this game? Or would it be the the Tory Craig special that we've seen where it's anywhere from seven to 12 minutes that he's playing? And the way he was used tonight, leads me to believe at least at this point that's how bud views him and that's not to say it's not going to change but as of right now it's yeah those other three names that we listed dj and pat and bobby they're all ahead of you on the second unit i'm not sure he gets past five minutes tonight if drew's playing and maybe they don't need him to you know if drew's playing because i think this game goes very differently if they have a healthy drew holiday but um I think it was pretty clear, like you mentioned, it's, he wasn't getting much run at all if they had their full complement of of starters and, and rotation players. But, you know, I don't think he needs to play a ton of minutes every game, and I think he is a little more situational than, um, you know, than as much as I hyped him up early when they first brought him in. But even situational players... Tonight felt like a situation where he made sense. Yeah. Um, because without Drew, when you're playing, when you're looking at a backcourt of Chris Paul and and Devin Booker, it made a lot of sense to me that if you're not going to have Drew to help defend those guys, nor are you going to have Drew on the offensive end to wear those guys out, Chris Middleton was going to take a lot of that was having was going to have to burden or shoulder a lot of that burden, and everyone else slides up right. So Dante has to handle a lot of that and. We saw Dante do his best against Chris Paul, but Chris Paul's really damn good. And at some point in the third quarter, you started to feel really bad for Dante because poor guy didn't stand a chance. Chris Paul got anything and everything he wanted against him. And, you know, it. I don't know that Chris Middleton was necessarily gassed, but, I mean, he had a lot more on his plate than he's had to all season um, between having to guard one of those two guys, and also on offense, um, being a primary creator on a lot of possessions. 
Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football may be over now, but the NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are all in full swing. Bet online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV, so they have everything out there for you. Real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Bet online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website and use your mobile device to sign up today, and you'll receive 50% off as a welcome bonus on your first deposit. Use promo code LOCKEDONBETONLINE. Your online sports books experts. Today's episode of Locked On Bucks is brought to you by 1010. 1010 is an exclusive collection of 10 one of a kind engagement rings designed by 10 of the most distinctive designers working today. Using only diamonds responsibly and sustainably sourced from Botswana, 10 design masters have each produced a uniquely beautiful diamond ring, launching exclusively on January 18th at BlueNile.com. This exciting limited edition collection of diamond engagement rings launches on January 18th, and you can preview it exclusively at BlueNile.com. I mean, so many things about this game, too, were mirror image where, I mean, the score, where the Suns win by one. Suns got 21 bench points. Bucks got 22 bench points. One team was 16 of 37 on threes. One team was 15 to 31, 46 of 87 for one team, 43 of 85 for the other. But points in the paint, too, like 48 to 42. Suns won that, which is just almost seems unreal because of Giannis's stat line, where he was 15 of, what, 19? 15 of 19 on two-point shots, and it seemed like it was all dunks, that he was just blowing by Frank Kaminsky and uh, whoever, and DeAndre Eaton, whoever the Bucks would or the Suns would put in the pivot there. But even the usage for the two guys that carried the offense, where both teams, all five starters, were in double figures. And, I mean, the amount of shots and volume for how they spread it out with their two guys, the Bucks got, what, 22 of 40 from Giannis and Chris, and the Suns got 21 of 41 from Devin Booker and Chris Paul, that this was a down-to-the-wire game in every sense. And that 21 of 41 for for the Suns' backcourt combined – that was after they didn't do much in the first half. Um, so a lot of that production came in the second half. And the Suns really were able to bring it all together kind of all at once as a team. And that's that's what did it. You know, I don't want to use like the cliche of it's a game of runs, but like they, they were on a hell of a run um, <laughs> in that third quarter and into the second, you know, throughout the second half. And it's, it, it all, that's also not to keep harping on it, but that also seems like a spot where, okay, we need to be better defensively, feels like a good spot for Torrey Craig. Yeah. Um, especially where Pat, and I think I'm a little higher on Pat than most of the fan base is because it feels like most everyone is out <laughs> completely. Which, um, if we go back two years ago, it was the opposite. But he does have games, and he, he was shooting really well to start the season, so I think it's hard to warrant taking time away from him. Um the way he was shooting to start, but you know, he has games where you forget he's on the team and you forget he's out there. And tonight was one of those nights. He, he missed the shots he took and he it didn't feel like he did anything else. It didn't feel like he had an impact. And I, you just have to wonder where every game that passes, I think to myself, if Tory Craig couldn't play tonight, 
I don't know that he's playing much ever. And again, we're early in the season, even though it feels like we have like a healthy sample size. But I have to keep reminding myself that we don't even have a schedule for the second half. And we're, you know, there are a lot of games to go and that could certainly change. And that's not even considering or accounting for potential COVID issues or actual injuries. But um, it it's hard to envision scenarios where he's going to, you know, really crack like a, a healthy amount of the rotation when you have games like tonight where they don't have Drew and they could really use some defense and, you know, they're out there getting gashed and he's just kind of hanging out on the bench still. And I do wonder too, like with Pat, it's look, the way I've always viewed it is um, like I said, I mean, it's, it's this like disease of new where Pat Connaughton was new two years ago and we loved him because he hustled and he did all this other stuff on, you know, some of the similar things, granted, not size and, and lengthwise, but some similar things that we're talking about Tory Craig being able to do. Pat did a lot of that for the second unit. Uh, but it's also, to kind of borrow the analogies from hockey, it's kind of like your lines, where Pat's not a second-line guy, but, I mean, he can be a third-line guy, where if you slide him down there, and that's what he was in his first his first year here. Last year, he moved up to the second line because it was basically, yeah, Dante and George, and Dante was in and out of the starting lineup with injuries, and then we needed more from Pat. Well, this year, ideally, Pat is slid down a little more where you're not asking him to hit shots like you did last year that when he gets off on this hot streak I think it has a lot to do with what you're asking him to do where this year whatever Pat gives you is basically a bonus so to the point you made he was shooting 50 percent on threes you can't pull him when that's going on um but also you don't have to play him 15 minutes every game where now once once that hot streak subsides, depending on the matchups, I mean, look, we don't need to see Pat Connaughton defending anybody 6'9 with the length or above ever again. And it feels like teams have figured out how to find that mismatch. So we don't need to see more of that. I'm not saying Pat can't play because he does have a role on this team. But if he's not going to be shooting 50%, we got to monitor how he's being used. Well, I mean, he's also, I think, better uh, in theory when there are crowds. Right. Because you think yeah. of the, the plays that he does make yeah. and where yeah. his where his impact is like it's very visible. And that's why when he's not good, he becomes invisible. It's because, you know, his impact plays are so noticeable. And because of that, I think he's um, he's, you know, he's benefited most by having the energy of a crowd there. And he's also the most susceptible to becoming invisible when there's not one. And, you know. My my concern with the defense as a whole is the Suns really rain fire tonight, and they are like middle of the pack in the league in attempts per game from deep, right. and they are bottom ten in percentage. And now the Bucks are, and that's the Bucks have had a lot of games this season already where teams shoot um, like an incredible percentage. <laughs> um, at, at a very healthy clip against them. And now you're going to play a jazz team that is not only second in attempts, but also second in the league in, in percentage. Yeah. And if you're not able to get your defense together, that's that game feels like it could be over quick, which is really weird to say about, you know, this bucks team who boasted the number one defense the last two years, best record in the league last two years. And, you know, 
you're looking at them playing against a team that really hasn't been in the contending conversation up until this year. And there's a very easy, feasible path to the Jazz blowing them out. Um, I mean, it's 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 a double whammy for the Jazz as we look ahead to Friday with uh, Utah. I mean, they are as hot as it gets. The Bucks, the Jazz, and the Lakers were the hottest teams in the league, and the Sacramento Kings up until this loss. Yep. Those were the four hottest teams in the league. I mean, most of us probably saw the Jazz do it again in that game against the Boston Celtics, but you pointed out the three-point shooting, which it's not like they reshaped the roster. Um, guys have taken steps forward here but defensively too not only are they towards the top in three-pointers made they're one of the best teams at defending the three as well this season and as we've seen the big shift this year is teams that defend the three versus defending the paints are the defenses that are much higher rated now how much of that has to do with what you're scheming to take away on the perimeter versus luck because I think Giannis put it best after I think the Cavs game where he said, look, it's, it's ultimately up to the basketball gods that all we can do is run the play and work to get the look that we want and take the shot. And then after that, it's not up to us if the shot goes in. Now, how much of that you believe, who knows? But I mean, there is, there is a nugget of truth in that. So there is some luck that factors in there, uh, but the jazz, it isn't just this year. The jazz have done a good job of defending the three. So to that point, with how good they shoot the three and how much we've seen the Bucks struggle at defending it, that's basically what we saw happen the first time between these two teams. They hit a lot of threes, and they prevented the Bucks from doing it. And if that happens again on the road, it could get out of hand. And, you know, you mentioned they didn't really reshape their roster much, the Jazz. Uh, they have five guys, or six guys, sorry, currently shooting four more threes a game. And... Jordan Clarkson is just on an insane level right now. Well, he's only shooting 37% per game. All of the rest of those six guys are above yeah. 40. And he's 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 got the the streak too of games may games consecutive games with a three-pointer. And before the first matchup, I remember looking at it to see too, all right, who's doing it for the Jazz? And before that game, they had, I believe, four or five guys who were shooting 40% or better on threes. I mean, I know it's early in the season, but still, they had basically half of their team was, yep, we're hitting 40% or more on threes. Yeah, and they have five guys now who are shooting 40% or better, and Jordan Clarkson is their sixth best, and they're all shooting four or more threes a game. I mean, they are shooting, like I said, they're second in the league in attempts and second in, in percentage, and... That is not the recipe of a team that the Bucks probably want to play right now because based on how things have gone, including a game against the Jazz, like you mentioned, that got out of hand. Um, this is, especially if they don't have Drew again, which it appears to be the case for even potentially the rest of this road trip, um, it's it's going to get ugly. And I, I don't know how much credit Rudy Gobert will ultimately get for the Jazz's success this year, but... Oh, I think I can answer that for you. <laughs> is the answer none? Yeah. yeah. And, and that's unfortunate. And I've been, like, I've laughed at Rudy Gobert just as much as anyone else has because, you know, it's been funny to laugh at him uh, at times. But, you know, I've gotten to watch him a couple times this year, and he's 
he's their entire defense. Yeah. And he does unlock a lot of what they do offensively. And obviously he's um, he's more of a puzzle piece in the offense than he is, you know, the catalyst. But um, he does allow for a lot of those open looks. And, uh, and again, all those guys, all those shooters that they have out there, none of them are – of good size, you know, they're, they're not, they don't have a good perimeter defense. They do a really good job of closing out and limiting it, but that's because they're funneling everyone to Rudy Gobert. Um, and so he is what makes them successful on both ends of the floor. And it'll be interesting to see how the bucks attempt to attack that. If they, if they tweak anything or anything, you know, how much dunker spot we see from anyone trying to, you know, mess with where Rudy Gobert is able to, to kind of live defensively, but um, ultimately, I, I think it's pretty safe to say it's going to come down to do the Bucks defend the three better than they have, and if the answer is no, I think that one's going to be a wrap. Yeah, and that's uh, the, the I guess the shame of it is, as we talked about, the the Bucks are still going to be figuring things out, and it's going to extend into the second half of the schedule. I would assume um, that you almost wish you could have played both games against Utah. In the second half, when you're like, all right, now we have a better grasp. Instead, you get both of them in the first half. But that may be advantageous in the Eastern Conference race when you look at uh, your games remaining with the Brooklyn Nets, with the Philadelphia 76ers. So I guess that's the silver lining there for the Bucks. But uh, another tough matchup, another game, three straight games in venues where you historically have, uh, to say struggled, is putting it very mildly as it's a current 17-game losing streak in Utah to the Jazz, and they've lost 27 of their last 30. The last time, and I still vividly remember this game, the last time they won in Utah was the season opener the year after they lost in the Eastern Conference Finals to the Sixers. So it was the season opener of the 2001-2002 season, and that was our first glimpse at Anthony Mason in a Bucks uniform. That is the last time the Bucks won in Utah. So good memories. <laughs> yeah. Or something. We could do an entire show on that year's team and the collapse and the Anthony Mason year and the eventual trades of the big dog and of Ray Allen. But uh, that is for another day. So a tough loss for the Bucks today. Hopefully they start a new win streak and snap that losing streak in Utah on Friday night. For Pratik Patel, for Kane Pittman at the Australian Open, Justin Garcia, this has been Locked On Bucks. Today's episode of Locked On Bucks is brought to you by 1010. 1010 is an exclusive collection of 10 one-of-a-kind engagement rings designed by 10 of the most distinctive designers working today. Using only diamonds responsibly and sustainably sourced from Botswana, 10 design masters have each produced a uniquely beautiful diamond ring, launching exclusively on January 18th at BlueNile.com. This exciting limited edition collection of diamond engagement rings launches on January 18th, and you can preview it exclusively at BlueNile.com.